0: This message by Mike Pluniac was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. You can go ahead and grab your seats and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, you can raise your hand and an usher will bring you a Bible, which is yours to keep. We're looking at most... Of chapter 15, so it'd be good to have a Bible in front of you so you can read along with the text this morning. We're back in our series on Acts. In our series, Paul and Barnabas have completed their first missionary journey. The, the gospel has been advancing, churches have been planted. Gentiles are being added to the people of God. These are historic times that we are studying each week. It's a new day, a new thing that is happening. And it leads to some major questions. Well, one main question What do these Gentiles have to do to be added to God's people? They've heard about Jesus. They believed he is the Savior. But what does that mean now? What about circumcision? What about the law? Do they have to become like the Jews to become Christians? And that question leads to a bigger question. What do we have to do to be made right with God? What do we have to do to be saved? And in Acts chapter 15, Luke records for us this historic moment when the church gathers to answer this question. And since the beginning of this book, we have been racing to this moment of reckoning. Not only are the Gentiles and their acceptance into the people of God at stake, but the very gospel is at stake in our text. And here in verse one, Acts chapter 15, is the question that leads to this historic moment. Look with me at Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse one. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses." And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. We're going we're to pause there. We're going to continue in a moment with the rest of our text. They are gathered together to consider this matter. This gathering has become known as the Jerusalem Council. Now, councils are not something we are probably familiar with today. Try to think of a council. Try to think of a council. What do you think of? I'm guessing your first thought might be the council of Elrond from Lord of the Rings. That's, that's where I went. That's what we think. You know, all, all the major players are there. You have Frodo and Gandalf and Legolas and Gimli and Boromir and Aragorn. And they have to decide what to do with the one ring to rule them all. And, and the world is at stake in their decision. Well, the, the fictional world that Tolkien has created. My, my goal today is to change your first thought. From the council of Elrond to the council of Jerusalem. If that happens, my mission will have been accomplished. Because here in Acts 15, you'll find all the major players are gathered together. We have Peter and Paul, James, brother of Jesus, Barnabas, the apostles, the elders. And here... The gospel of grace is at stake. The future of the church is at stake and it's not fiction. It was a historic moment that has massive implications for us today. And I think this is the the main point I want us to take from the text today. The main point is that grace is worth fighting for. Grace is worth fighting fighting for. It's worth fighting for in our personal lives. It's worth fighting for in the church, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our community groups. Grace is worth fighting for. That is what we're going to see in our text. That's what they are fighting for, and we need to fight for that today as well. And Luke gives us a detailed account. It's lengthy. It's 35 verses of the Jerusalem Council. And what I'd like to do is go through this text section by section to help us understand what's going on. And then after we walk through the text, I have three implications of this historic council that matter for us today. So the whole argument arose beginning in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Because some men were coming down to Antioch and they were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a salvation issue they are talking about. There are some things, probably many things, that it's not worth arguing about. Let me give you an illustration from our house we have an ongoing debate in our house that has been going on for years. And the question is what is a salad? What makes it a salad? Is lettuce just chopped up on a plate with dressing is that a salad? Or do you need other ingredients? If that's a salad, when we put lettuce on our sandwich, does that mean we're putting a salad on our sandwich? This is the the kind of debates we have in our house. We have spent hours debating this question. We have come to an impasse. We cannot decide what a salad actually is in our house. And it's probably safe to say, and I see it by the looks on your face, it's not worth debating over what is a salad. These men are making this question a salvation issue. They are saying, unless these Gentiles are circumcised, unless they obey the law of Moses, these non-Jews who are trusting in Christ, unless they obey the law of Moses, they cannot be saved. This is a big deal. This is worth debating over. This is worth fighting over. The gospel is at stake in this question. Would the Gentiles have to become Jews if they were to become Christians? Is the sinner saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Has Jesus done everything necessary for salvation or... Do we need to add in Moses? Do we have to add in our good works to be saved? Are Gentiles just a sect of Judaism? Or are the people of God a multinational, multi-ethnic family? These are the questions that they are debating. This is why this is so important. And after they've gathered together, they they begin to present their arguments. And first up, and rightfully so, is Peter. Look at verse 7 in our text. Acts 15, verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And In this debate, there are going to be multiple evidences that what is happening, the gospel going to the Gentiles by grace through faith is a work of God. And Peter recounts the gospel going to Cornelius and his household. And and I know we covered Cornelius in detail just four chapters ago. But that was 10 years before this council. That's why Peter says in the early days, that was 10 years ago when the the Gentiles believed the gospel and were saved and and, and the gospel has been going to them for 10 years when they're having this debate. And Peter's whole point here, you can see it over and over is God did this. This is an act of God. Verse seven, God made a choice. Verse eight, God knows the heart. Verse nine, he, God, made no distinction between us and them. Verse 10, you are putting God to the test. God did this. This is a work of God. God is the one sending his gospel forth and saving sinners by grace. This is God's work. And in verse 7, how did this work happen? This is what he says in verse 7. They heard the word of the gospel and they believed. That's it. That's the call. There it is, right there. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done through his finished work on the cross and his resurrection to save us from our sins. They heard about Jesus. They heard the word of the gospel. They believed in Jesus and God saved them. Was it by works? No. Listen to to Ephesians 1.13. It says the same thing. In him you also. When you heard the word of truth, what's the truth? It's the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. You were sealed with the promise. Holy Spirit. That's what happened to them. That's what happened to us. That's the good news. It's not by works. Did they have to be circumcised? Did they have to obey the law? Did they have to even know the law for them to receive the promised Holy Spirit? No, it was by faith. God did this. And he says in verse 11, not only is it the Gentiles are saved by faith, by grace, but it's the Jews as well. We believe we also will be saved by grace just as they were. That's Peter's argument. And the argument continues. Look down at verse 12. They continue. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon or Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild So so we have now Peter Peter making his argument and Paul and Barnabas get a turn. And and I'm assuming Luke doesn't go into detail because we just covered it in the previous several chapters of the book of Acts. But they talk about all the work God has been doing among the Gentiles and saving them and, and the miracles and the deliverances. And in verse 13, now it's James' turn who seems to be the senior pastor in Jerusalem. And I just want to point out from our text, when you read this from James, this is just good leadership. I mean, this is wise leadership he is providing for this debate because he goes to God's word for wisdom and clarity. They've been sharing testimonies and and Peter recounts the vision he had of the scroll opening up and what happened with Cornelius. and, And I'm sure Paul, you know, talked about hearing the voice of Christ calling him to go to the Gentiles. And now what James does is he goes to God's word and he says, this agrees with everything that you're hearing. He says this in verse 15, look at verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Everything's in agreement here. This is the deciding factor. This is what leads to his judgment and decision. And he picks one prophet. So all the prophets, all the scriptures agree this has been God's plan. And he goes to one prophet, Amos chapter 9, 11, and 12 that we have in our text in Acts 15. And he chooses to quote this last chapter of Amos' prophecy. This prophecy is when the people were in exile. Jerusalem had been destroyed. It was in ruin. But God is making this promise to his people that he's going to restore David's throne. He's going to rebuild the tent of David and the one who sits on David's throne, the Messiah who he promised to send when he comes. Not only would he be the Messiah of the Jews, but the Gentiles also. He would be the savior of the whole world. So he's saying, James is saying, the prophets have told us this was the plan all along. And he ends the prophecy by saying, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. No one should be surprised these things are happening, that the Gentiles are joining the people of God in droves because God made it clear long ago this was the plan. This is what would happen. And now not only has God confirmed it by pouring out his spirit on them and he's done these signs and wonders among the Gentiles, but he's confirmed it in his word. I love this. I I love this debate. I love how they're thinking through this and they're hearing testimonies and James is, is leading and rising up and going to God's word and saying, yes, this is right and this is true because it's from God and this is his judgment. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Okay, salvation is by grace, it's through faith, that's what they're deciding, that's the judgment, what's happening to the Gentiles is good and right, they don't have to do these things that these men are teaching them. So the question becomes, why these prohibitions? Things polluted by idols and sexual immorality and from what's been strangled and from blood. Why these four prohibitions? In the words of Jeff Perswell, there's probably not another single text in all the book of Acts about which scholars have spilled more ink trying to explain. So I don't think we are going to solve this today. Are these moral requirements for all time can we not order our steak medium rare the only right way to order a steak are we doing something wrong and why is sexual immorality on the same list of things on how we order our steak are those things of the same level these are the debates That ink has been spilled about over and over. And there's multiple theories and commentaries. And I've read different positions on why these four that we don't have time to get into this morning, but there's one thing they all agree on. So that's what we're going to focus on. What do they agree on? They agree on the goal of these four things. And the goal of these prohibitions on the Gentiles was unity. That was the goal. The goal was to preserve their community. They're making a way for Jews and Gentiles to be united in fellowship and the gospel. So he wasn't wasn't placing on them the law. He's not saying, okay, don't listen to them. You don't have to be circumcised, but you do have to do these things to be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, we have this new thing happening. And we have these Jews and Gentiles and they're joining together in fellowship in local churches. And how do they, coming from different cultures and backgrounds, how do they stay united and not be divided? And they're telling the Gentiles, these are helpful things you can do. Think about your brothers. Think about your Jewish brothers in Christ and how to help them. This week, uh, we watched a documentary on the making of the song we are the world i don't know if you remember the song 1985 fastest selling single in history the idea of the song was to bring together all these superstar musicians to make a song to raise money for a famine in ethiopia And it became the fastest selling single in history. They got 47 superstars all together for one night from 10 p.m. to 7 in the morning. They, 47 people, recorded a song together. You had... Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie, The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Kenny Rogers, Cyndi Lauper, Willie Nelson, Ray Charles, everybody who was big in the room together recording this song. And you could imagine that many personalities and superstars all trying to work together was a challenge. And the producer who made the song, before everybody got there, he put a sign handwritten over the door as they came in. And the sign said, check your ego at the door. I thought that was a genius move. It was his attempt to preserve unity. It didn't go well. At one point, Stevie Wonder was trying to convince everybody. He was changing the song and trying to get them to sing in Swahili. Waylon Jennings just left. He never came back at that moment. I mean, it didn't really preserve the unity, but that was his move. This, this text, these prohibitions, it's like their sign. They're saying, yes, Gentiles, you're welcomed. You're received. It's by faith. But let us help you. Let us serve you, preserve unity. Consider those around you. Consider those coming from a different place than you are. Let's think about them. Check your ego at the door. And the result of this decision, what we find is, man, it just brings them such joy. I love this. In verses 22 through 29 in our text, it, we're not going to read this whole section, but, but they send the letter to the churches and it basically just records, we've talked about this. I know these men have troubled you. Here is our decision on this. And then look down at verse 30. It says, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. This is where the trouble's happening. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, they they sent them to deliver the letter, who were themselves prophets. They encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Here's, here's the fruit of fighting for grace. Okay, they, they fought for grace, they debated, there was no small dissension. They they stood up and they presented their argument, they went to God's word. And the fruit of upholding salvation by grace through faith and not adding these works is, is joy. They're rejoicing, they're encouraged, they're strengthened, the mission continues. They're they're preaching and teaching and building the church, getting ready for their next missionary journey. Everything else we're gonna see in Acts that happens in our study. Everything else happens because of this decision right here to uphold the grace of God. This is a historic moment for the church. It was a tough issue at the time, but grace is worth fighting for. And here's three implications for us today. Okay, okay, this is what happened. This happened a long time ago. They fought for grace. How did, why does this matter for us today? They preserved something for us. What does that mean for us today? Number one, first implication, grace is worth fighting for today. Every generation there are battles and debates that we must have. Today, with, with gender and sexuality and identity, these, these are massive issues. And we must stand firm on the word of God. And we have to fight those battles today. And different generations have had different battles than us, than they've had to go to God's word and stand on God's word. And, and every generation has had to fight different battles But every generation has to make sure not to lose the gospel of grace. Every generation must fight this battle. How do we get right with God? How can sinners be saved? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of grace. The gospel proclaims that through Jesus' life, his death on the cross, and resurrection from the grave, that Jesus has done everything God requires for our salvation. There is nothing else we have to do to gain forgiveness for sins, enjoy fellowship with God, or have the hope of eternal life, except trust In Jesus Christ alone. This is the gospel of free grace. It's what we celebrated in communion this morning. It's what Bill was reminding us about. It's why the blood is so important. It's why we sing about this. This is our only hope. And we have to fight for this and reaffirm it today. Because there's always going to be those who want to add to the gospel some work who want to say Christ is not enough. And also because our temptation is still to go back to our works. We constantly revert back to that. We, we live like that. We live in that. We place it on others. Grace is worth fighting for today because we have a tendency to revert back to legalism. Listen, this is what C.J. Mahaney says. He says, there's no doubt that one of the greatest hindrances to keeping the gospel central in our lives is our creeping tendency toward legalism. It's an age-old foe to God's plan of salvation through faith alone from the earliest days of the church what we just studied legalism has sidetracked christians and thrown them off course and it happens today as much as ever i totally agree with that it's a creeping tendency it's it's subtle It sneaks in. Though we know we're saved by grace, we begin living as if our relationship with God is dependent on our works. We start living like that. What is legalism? Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God through obedience to God. It's functionally saying the cross wasn't enough and I have to add my good works to be saved. It's exactly what they were fighting against in the Jerusalem council, and we have to fight it today. We have to fight against legalism in our souls. I heard this illustration about a man who had a baseball autographed by Babe Ruth. And the man heard, if you don't know who Babe Ruth is, watch the Sandlot, it'll explain everything to you, okay? The man heard it might be valuable, so he decided to sell the baseball. But he was worried, though, because the the signature, the baseball was so old that the signature on the baseball had faded. And so he wanted it to be clear when he sold it that it was Babe Ruth's signature. So what he did is he got his baseball and he took out a pen And he slowly traced over Babe Ruth's signature. What happened? Well, well, the effect was he obliterated Babe Ruth's signature, right? He traced over it. It was gone. He had turned something priceless into something worthless. When we try to add our good works to the finished work of Christ, it obliterates his work. It adds it on top, and his, his work is gone. We, we've just ruined it. If we believe or behave as if God's forgiveness is dependent on our performance, man, we're falling back into legalism. And what happens is, here's the effect. If you're wondering, do I do, I do this? It's a creeping tendency. We all have this tendency, so the answer's probably yes. But how do you know? Well, what happens is, We lack joy and peace. We feel condemned. We live as if God is disappointed in in us rather than delighting over us. It's what Jerry Bridges calls the performance treadmill. So, So how do we fight this? How do we fight for grace? We keep going back to and reminding ourselves over and over what Christ has done for us. His work is finished. We keep going back to the gospel we never move on we keep preaching it to ourselves every single day the gospel reminds us over and over it's not about my performance it's the perfect performance and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ that's why God accepts me it's not because of me it's because of him it's not my work is his work and it is finished It's over, it's by faith in him alone. That's why I'm accepted by God. That's why God answers my prayers. That's why God has favor on me today. And there's nothing I can do to destroy that and there's nothing I can do to make it greater because it's already finished in Jesus Christ alone. And when we go back and we remind ourselves and we remember that and we preach it to each other and we talk about it in community group and we encourage each other, don't forget what Jesus did. I'm condemned. I'm lacking joy. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. It's not about your performance. It's about his finished work on the cross. Man, the, the joy. And it's just like what happened to them. They rejoiced and they were strengthened. That's the effect. The Jerry Bridges. The realization that my daily... He, by the way, he has a way of understating things. So listen to this. The realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of my own performance is a very freeing and joyous experience. Oh my, yes it is, Jerry. It is very freeing. It is very joyous. It's amazing grace is what it is. It's good news. It's just good news. This is what they fought for. Don't lose it. Don't lose what they are fighting for. Fight for grace today. And just an application and encouragement for you. If you battle legalism, if you feel condemned, if you, if you lack joy, if you feel like God is disappointed in you, if you just end the day going, man, God is so disappointed in me today. Let me, let me just encourage you a, a practical application point. We have a bookstore, okay? It is filled with resources that will preach the gospel to you and help you understand the grace of God. Jerry Bridges, Transforming Grace. If you've never read it, read it. If you've already read it, read it again. Uh, the cross of christ by john stott we have a stack of them in the bookstore it just over and over here's what jesus did here's what jesus did here's what propitiation means here's what being justified by faith means here's what happened to the wrath of god as jesus was dying on the cross there's no more wrath for you to faith to face god is not disappointed in you he's delighting over you C.J. Mahaney, Living the Cross-Centered Life. These books will help you fight to not slip back into legalism. Make it a habit to read a book on the cross every single year. Grace is worth fighting for. Go back. Fight for it. Remember it. Don't let it go. That's our first implication. That's the long one. The other two are briefer. Number two grace preserves our unity this this was the effect when these false teachers came into Antioch and they started teaching this false legalistic teaching it created tears in the church these were up here who were doing these works and those who weren't were below them that's the effect of legalism Legalism creates self-righteousness. It, when we obey, we feel superior to others. When we disobey, we feel inferior to others. We're measuring everybody by the works they do and how they perform. And grace says, no, ground is the level at the foot of the cross. We are all dependent on grace. I love Peter in verse 11 because he's not addressing the Gentiles. He's addressing the Jews, We believe we will be saved by grace just like them. We need it as much as they do. Yes, we've been circumcised. Yes, we have the law. We're still dependent on grace. The Jerusalem council said, there's no tiered system in the church. When we fight for grace, we're fighting for our unity. We're fighting to look at others through the lens of the gospel and the grace of God. We're not giving others all these things to do, but we're reminding them what Jesus has done for them. It's what strengthens and builds a church. It's what unites us. Number three, third implication, grace guarantees our mission. This is, it, it guarantees our mission. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. It's, this is gonna be the last time you see Peter. He, he's, not, he's not gonna reappear in the book of Acts. Jerusalem is going to fade into the background, and now what we see is Paul moving beyond Asia into Europe and heading towards Rome. Rome is on the horizon now. John Stott says this. Its unanimous decision, the Jerusalem Council, liberated the gospel from its Jewish swaddling clothes into being God's message for all humankind which means we have good news to proclaim. Freedom from sin. Captives set free. All are welcome to come and trust in Christ by faith alone. All are welcome to turn from their sins, no matter how far gone you think they are. They are welcome to come by faith. None are beyond the reach of God's grace. This is the message of the gospel of grace future church plants have good news to proclaim. People can come and be saved by grace and grace alone. And I know you know this, but as a reminder, this is not just a message for our church plant and their mission. This is our message too today. Those in our lives, those we work with, our neighbors, our friends, people we meet on sports teams, those in our community and in our school, they need this message as well. We don't proclaim to them all they have to do to get themselves right with God. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified, the power of God for salvation. And by faith in Him, they can be born again. They can be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Listen, at the council of Elrond, they made an important decision, okay? That the one ring had to be destroyed once and for all. And it sent them on a journey, which is fascinating to read. But this council, the council of Jerusalem, they made a decision that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. They made a decision that faith in him is enough and it preserved the mission of the church, it preserved the unity of the church and that today we live by grace and grace alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. We just, we can't end without thanking you, Jesus. Jesus for what you have done to save us from our sins. We thank you. We sing your praise. We give you all the glory. And I pray for this church this morning, Lord. Every person here that they would leave here encouraged and strengthened in their souls by the grace of God. For all those who feel that creeping tendency towards legalism, I pray today they would be set free. They would see it's not based on their performance, it's based on Christ. Set them free this morning, Lord. Let them have a lightness, a burden off their shoulders as they leave here today, knowing that it's all by grace, and and you are going to preserve us by grace, Lord. So thank you for your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.